Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Rachel. And I'm Roberta. And it's time for your weekly update on the royal news you need to know. A couple of royal reminders before we dive in. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group at Royally Obsessed. You could subscribe to our podcast and leave us a royal rating of five stars. It would make our day. Send us an email at info at gallerypodcast.com. Roberta, how are you doing? It's a you know, loaded question right now. <laughs> I know, hanging in there. So it's Wednesday morning. We don't know the results of the U.S. election, but we are here and we have shots prepared. Because I know. <laughs> <laughs> what a night. Um yeah. So did I you mean, watch the results or like, did you watch? I did, which is actually pretty torturous and I wish I hadn't, um, but I couldn't, you know, tear myself away. But I do love that People Magazine reported Meghan Markle was the first modern royal to vote in this election. That's You huge. know, it's kind of, yeah, mo- it's definitely a momentous occasion that she was able to do that. So it is cool. And she obviously has been so vocal about it leading up. So I, I like that. Yeah, we had that presence. Totally. I also think it's it's interesting because it's like actually not like forbidden by law for the royals to vote. It's just that Queen Elizabeth has always been politically neutral. So I find that like super Mm -hmm. interesting. I would love to do just like a deep dive into the laws. I thought they were forbidden to vote. I thought they weren't. They're actually not. But she's just always been like technically not. I guess because she's been politically neutral. I don't think there's an a law about monarchs voting but they just they just like they choose I, I don't to think follow they that ever path. would yeah exactly exactly interesting um, but yeah something to to look into more yeah i was never more happy though last night to have the podcast to prep for and i cuddled up with some royal content coming out soon that i uh yeah It is a lovely distraction for this week, for sure. This week, we're also chatting with Ingrid Seward, the author of the new book, Prince Philip Revealed, which came out on October 20th. And we're doing a deep dive into Prince William's COVID news. But first, I mentioned I promised that we had shots. So here we are. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. (laughs) Mine's a little bit of a, yeah, what are you drinking? (laughs) in a mini glass teacup it actually is really i think this might be the thing that you're supposed to put like a little poached egg in or whatever oh, you know cute. How, it's like very a yeah it's like a little <laughs> glass tiniest, yeah or maybe like an espresso or something yeah yeah espresso yeah, yeah. shot might, not a that might be right alcoholic it's, shot it's gin and orange juice i thought the orange juice would help cut it because it is very early on wednesday morning so <laughs> know, cheers. you can almost what, hear it in our voices a lot i know what are you what are you drinking so Rachel? i'm i was not even that fancy so i'm drinking a sparkling cranberry beverage but i poured Mm. a little i poured some vodka right in the can (laughs) that's not royal at all i'm sorry but it's good i just needed a little a little something something to get through the day and actually it's like it's actually really delicious so that works out oh oh i'm terrible at taking shots (laughs) it is a lot more gin than i thought i put in there wow woo 
Well done. I I approve. Uh, I am awake. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. We're getting we're getting into we have so much to talk about. I'm excited. All right. Well, while we're sipping, we really loved this recent thread in the Royally Obsessed Facebook group about last week's episode. Iris writes, in the latest episode of Royally Obsessed, there's a mention of Queen Victoria's mandate to be elegant at all times. In the episode, it's brought up as a reference to Halloween, but it reminded me of a rumor I'd heard a couple of years ago, but haven't been able to verify. Does anyone here know if it's true that loungewear and athleisure is basically considered off limits for royals when they're at home? I read somewhere that even on days off, and since so many have staff around, they're expected to get dressed in actual clothes every day. So the comments that came in, there were quite a few. Some of my favorites were Katie replied, the real reason Harry and Meghan left, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> I mean, That's if you good. can't wear That's leggings, good. get out. Um, yeah. Not worth it. Um, also, a nod from Jennifer to the Lifetime movie and the scene where William meets Kate's parents for, um, and they're in PJs when they show up for breakfast, and he walks in in a blazer and slacks, which I think is was also a great moment in that movie. But I don't know, Roberta. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I feel like this rule would be like super helpful to me right now <laughs> because I do tend to like wear my PJs throughout the day, and that's not good. And I feel like I should really like wake up and start the day. But I also feel like their parents, like you know, or at least William and Kate, their parents of three kids, like they do get you know they they start their day early. So I think that that's probably what they would choose to do anyway. I don't think that they were. I don't know. What well, do you I don't think? know. I mean, I feel like we also see Kate and we've seen Kate and and Megan for sure in leggings out and about plenty of times. I just think that they always are more elevated. Like maybe Kate's wearing them with the really fancy boot or, you know, yeah. she always still – she looks way more polished than when I wear leggings. <laughs> well, definitely in P- Megan's pre-royal days, she wore leggings a lot, like to yoga class and stuff, and that seems normal. But since being a royal, not really. And yeah. so I wonder if that's, you know, that really is the case. And they were kind of more variations on leggings too too, where it's like culottes, but they were loose. I mean, I think the interesting part is we do know from interviews with Diana and Fergie that they are expected or were expected to change outfits multiple times a day. I think in an interview, Fergie mentions that she changed outfits nine times and one Christmas day, one Christmas day at Sandringham. So wow, pretty, pretty interesting. But we also know that they're all really sporty. So I feel like, I don't know, they wear sneakers all the time. It's yeah. And Kate wears a lot of like, um, like almost like I want to call it hunting-ish out like athleisure that's like more trending like like the vests and mm-hmm. the hiking boots and all of that so she's more of an outdoorsy type of leisure if you know what I mean not yeah. like more athletic so who knows I, I yeah. love that Iris brought this up this is a good find Iris yeah so it's a really good find so and a good much. question yeah definitely well for this week in royal history We're focusing on Princess Margaret. Her three-week royal tour of the U.S. took place 55 years ago. So on November 4th, 1965, Princess Margaret and her then-husband, Anthony Armstrong Jones, a.k.a. Lord Snowden, landed in California with a 16-person entourage and 75 pieces of luggage. Unreal. I I approve that, too. (laughs) I believe it, too. She had so many outfit changes. Um, They started their trip in San Francisco and then continued to L.A., Arizona, D.C., and New York. They partied a lot while they were here. They rubbed elbows with the Hollywood elite and DC A-listers. The pictures of the White House reception are actually so fabulous. And they're uh, one of my favorite outfits of hers is in those pictures, the powder pink dress with beaded fringe jacket. 
Um, she's so pictured pretty. with the president and first lady and uh, Lord Snowden. So love that picture. She also wore two tiaras during her visit, and one was her wedding tiara. So I feel like one suitcase was devoted. Yeah, that, to that was tiaras. a dedicated suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> The New York Times actually reported about the White House reception that Margaret and her husband didn't leave until 1.35 this morning, and the Johnsons, celebrating their 31st wedding anniversary, stayed on until the orchestra struck up Good Night, Ladies, at 2 a.m. So they really did party hard. I love that. It actually, you know, the crown kind of got a lot of things right, so she reportedly caused a little bit of trouble you know, those bathtub picks, although they didn't actually happen on this trip, did happen in real life, but, you know... Princess Margaret didn't have the kind of smooth wittiness that I think the queen has. So it said that she offended. She she kind of spoke her mind a lot is what I think it is what I'm getting at. And it was said that at a party, she offended both Judy Garland by asking the singer to perform on the spot and the future princess of Monaco, Grace Kelly. She told Grace Kelly that she didn't look like a movie star, to which the future princess of Monaco replied, well, I wasn't born a movie star. Ooh, Ooh. Bird. Yeah, like you were born a royal. Um, so that was at a Hollywood party. And I guess those things kind of happened a lot because Margaret was just so used to kind of saying what's on her mind. The bad press that the trip generated was mainly in the UK. I think they were really well received in the US, but the UK was not impressed by the expense of the trip, which at the time was 30,000 pounds was estimated. In today's dollars, that's roughly half a million dollars. Oh my gosh. Insane. Three Three week trip. Wow. So a lot, especially when the UK was already in debt and looking for someone to kind of help them out of that. So pretty pretty wild this the bad press in the uk also actually happened to cause british diplomats to actively work to prevent princess margaret from coming back to the us in the 1970s for another royal trip wow. um i think that they just said you know we don't we we can't afford the expense and it wasn't as well received over across the pond i think in america everyone was really excited and happy yeah that. i think that that's interesting cuz that seemed to be accurate to in the crown that it was reported that she really had a great rapport with President Johnson, and they they got along and they quite really well. Hit it off, yeah, yeah. yeah and the definitely. the media here was thrilled with her visit and thought she was great fun. But it seems like across the pond, the expense really didn't go over well. Yeah, I think the expense, and also just that she might have you know, said some things that were a little off color for the royal yeah. family. I think that that might have gotten across, and and you know, like we saw in the Crown, that we know the Crown is not. Uh, historical fact but that it reached the queen's ears and so who knows how that was received. I still so love the dialogue in that crown it was not true of course we know but how she compared herself to you know but you know Johnson was the vice president before JFK was assassinated yeah and she's like I'm used to being the vice queen what a line that's a great line oh the vice gosh, queen I know if only we knew what exactly was spoken in that can the crown writers room? write everything for all of us <laughs> all the politicians every I mean it's just a great line <laughs> it is it's a really good line oh well anyways we have to dig into Prince William's COVID news so give you the nuts and bolts first. I feel like we're all familiar. This happened earlier this week. We learned that Prince William had COVID in April. And it's. I want to make clear that it's a report that comes from the Sun and Kensington Palace hasn't confirmed or denied it. But Kate and the kids never contracted the virus and Kensington Palace did confirm did that confirm. part. Yeah, this is shocking to it's me. It's so I mean, shocking. The fact that it comes so late after the fact is just pretty pretty mind-blowing. But let's let's hear all, all the nuts yeah, and bolts. Yeah, so... 
you know, basically, apparently William mentioned it at a public engagement saying that he was hit hard by the virus. That's how the son picked it up. Uh, some reports say that he even had trouble breathing, although other reports say that his symptoms were mild. So there's definitely conflicting info. Um, and but the and the mild symptoms are the reason he was able to work throughout. But there is a gap. As we remember, he was, you know, him and Kate were, you know, doing repeated back to back Zoom calls and they were really working hard during that early, those early days of the virus. Um but he, there is a gap where he was not doing any work from April 9th to April 16th. So a lot of people are crediting that time as when he was down and out with COVID. Right. Um, makes sense. It also sounds like he maybe caught it early enough. So that's the reason he was able to quarantine away from his family. And that's why Kate and the kids, you know, if, if people were, you know, regularly checking on William for that, um, you know, he also resides at Anmer Hall, which, of course, of all the places to have to quarantine, there's probably plenty of space. So he was probably able to really stay away and have his own quarters there. Totally. Um, and supposedly it was kept secret so as not to cause panic with Prince Charles, who, you know, was is 71 years old and first in line to the throne. There's 10 bedrooms in Anmer Hall. Ooh, so t- 10 bedroom detail. Georgian Manor. Yeah. So yeah, he had, he had, his, he had his choice of rooms. Yeah. <laughs> Just wanted to go back <laughs> well, to that. Kate, Kate handled the fam. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he. I think that he didn't want to cause panic. I mean, Prince Charles, who's 71, already announced that he was sick with it in March and William is second in line to the throne. So I want to get into this, Roberta. got to talk I, about it. This is yeah, huge. I want to talk about the line of succession really quick. So that is something that came into play with them not announcing this is what people are thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, that, I think that that's my theory. So first, I think I want to just ask because there's a lot of controversy. People are quite angry at Prince William for keeping it a secret. And I feel like I get it. I mean, it's definitely weird to not reveal that. Um, but I do think in doing a, quite a bit of research, I can understand the reasoning because panic is an understatement because basically, you know, if say the worst happened, okay, say the queen who's 94 passed away, then Prince Charles passed away, then Prince William passed away because they were hit by the virus. The next in line to the throne is George and then Charlotte and Louis, and none of them are over the age of 18, which is where the Regency Act comes into play, which means a regent would rule in his place. And that person has to be over 21, and that looks to next in line for the line of succession. That's Prince Harry, who had just left as of March 31st and moved to California and quit. And then after Prince Harry is Prince Andrew. Yeah. So think of the headlines, what they would have been if all three, because people would obviously be spinning and hypothesizing and, you know, speculating on what would happen and playing out all these scenarios. So I don't know. I doubt it was William's choice to keep it a secret. And the monarchy was already kind of struggling. I mean, with the news of Harry and Meghan leaving, that was a real ding to their reputation. It still is. So I get it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think, too, though, we have to talk about so that that is crazy. Like to think I mean, that's such an uh, uh, intense kind of like the worst is going to happen scenario that would have played out. And like, I do think that, you know, that's a little drastic. Well, you could picture the tabloid headlines, I think, is more what it would. You know what I mean? If that was if he was sick and Charles at the same time. That's true. We do have to talk, though, about. You know, if there's this expectation of 
privacy for William, why don't we have the same expectation for Harry and Meghan? Because mm-hmm. I think that they have, you know, and recently this has come up because of Robert Lacey's book, the fact that it was such a big deal that they kept a lot of the stuff around Archie's birth private. The fact totally. that she went into labor, the fact that she, they, the couple, the Sussexes weren't going to reveal the godparents. And so we're like, it's okay. It's it's not okay for the Sussexes to kind of say, like, we want a private birth. We don't want the picture on the Linda Wing steps. We want to keep everything quite under wraps about the birth of our first child. But then, you know, so is it not okay for Prince William? I, I feel like that that's a double standard and it's totally it's the agree. double standard that the media plays by in the UK yeah mm-hmm. so. absolutely and it is interesting because the royals are private citizens and apparently there have been many times that they've stayed silent after a possible health scare their queen had cataract surgery in 2018 and they waited a month to announce that it occurred and she was all good even king george i thought this was interesting you know his health um which is what he died from he had he was severely sick, and but he kept it from the public for years and carried out numerous public engagements, and no one knew. So they're definitely allowed to keep those details. But you're right. It's a total double standard. Depend What info is private, what's not. It's a huge gray area. Now, here's where I'm getting to in the weeds. But Princess Anne is older than Prince Andrew. Yes. But I guess but maybe she, that was not changed until It wasn't changed Charlotte. until 2013. Yeah, so it doesn't okay. apply to her. Got I know. It. Okay. I've looked into that recently for another reason. I can't remember what the reason was. So yeah, so she is not in the line of succession. And I guess after I I did, you know, after Harry and after Andrew is Beatrice. So it's, right, it's just, right. It's crazy how quickly you could actually move down the line of succession if something really severe like COVID were to take out numerous members of the family. So I understand. That's what they were worried about. Yeah, But I did, of course, um, because I have a a wonderful mom chain, mom text chain, and they all have varying (laughs) opinions of the royal family. So when when this news broke, I sent a text being like, quick poll, are you in favor of of William's decision to not share or not? And I think that the general... you know, outcome, of course, this is a very informal poll, but I, how but many people are in this group text? Five. So, okay. so it's not that many. But I just, Let's I hear think, the results. But there's I want people with definitive results. In the UK. Yeah, exactly. But basically, I think people just said it would have been helpful to send if we knew at the beginning, uh, because COVID is such a public health situation, it would have been helpful to know that William, a young guy at the age of 38, was equally affected as his 71-year-old father because I think it would have helped people take it more seriously at the outset to know that it isn't just an old person's disease. It clearly is not. So I think that was their disappointment. It's like it just would have helped other people realize the severity of it. Well, and if we're taking this like extreme circumstance to, you know, the next level, which I don't think we should, but in this case – what if Kate and the kids had gotten it? I know. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that and, – and no one knew that even Prince William had it. Like, I feel like that was a little – I don't know. I just want to – I want to say it was a little reckless to hide it. Or it just – like, um, someone said, like, people in power who hide things, you always have to question why. And I think yeah. that that really is is so, so true. Like, why, why was he hiding it? And obviously we've talked about that, but – it really makes you think. Well, are yeah. there other reasons? What are the other reasons? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. We should either, probably move but... on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just, I mean, I just wanted to mention one last thing that it is interesting that this news also comes when the UK is entering their second lockdown on Thursday, the day this episode goes live. So then yeah. that lasts through December 2nd is what they're predicting right now. But 
all royal food for thought. Yes. Lots to think about. Lots to think about. But like you said, it'll probably not get that much more news coverage, although we've already seen some news coverage of it this, you know, this weekend and the beginning of this week. But because of the election and everything, it's kind of, yeah, I think you it'll, know, as far as PR for them, it's kind of prime timing for them to kind of sweep it under the rug. It'll it fade away. Like. But, but always linger. I mean, it's just kind of interesting. I adore Prince William. Please know that for our listeners. But we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please send us a note because it is really fascinating. And I think this was through all of us for a loop. So yes, send us a note. <laughs> all right. And now our conversation with author Ingrid Seward. Here is that chat. Row Rose, we are so excited to welcome Ingrid Seward to the pod. She's a best-selling author and royal biographer, as well as the editor-in-chief of Britain's Majesty magazine. Her new book, Prince Philip Revealed, just came out October 20th. Welcome, Ingrid. We're so thrilled welcome. to have you here. Well, you're very kind. Thank you. So, Ingrid, welcome. We are so thrilled for you to join us. How are you doing during this time? Where are you calling us from? I'm calling you from uh, near Henley-on-Thames, which is quite near Windsor Castle. And it's in the middle of the countryside. It's really beautiful. So I feel quite lucky to be here, not in some little apartment in London. Yes. And I was going to comment on your Zoom background right now. It's um, a beautiful library full of books, it looks like. So you have quite the collection. Well, I do. Yeah, I've been doing this royal job for so long and I ages and ages ago I started collecting old books and there's some wonderful old books but this was before Amazon so you know nowadays you can get most of them on Amazon but this was pre-Amazon and I've just built up this collection which you see behind me. That's amazing well before we start talking about Prince Philip Revealed which we can't wait to dive into um, we'd love to hear more about your role as editor-in-chief of Majesty Magazine First, how can our Roros, our audience here, subscribe? Well, they can they can go online and they can subscribe to it there or they can see a bit of it online. And Majesty Magazine has been going for 40 years this year. Wow. Can you believe it? That's incredible. That's incredible. It's a niche magazine about the royal family. It has a lot of historical stuff in it. And actually, our biggest audience is America. Wow. So I, I guess that we have a lot of... Um, a lot of subscribers there and and people really seem to enjoy it and it's great fun to do I mean I don't actually sit down and edit it every day anymore like I used to I'm sort of like I suppose an editor-in-chief is like I'm a sort of overall see see it overall and I do a couple of articles a month that's great that's wonderful well we were curious what are the royal stories that your news team is buzzing about as we round out 2020 and head into 2021 well obviously Harry and Meghan obviously for sure (laughs) but there was a poll actually conducted here in the UK I, I mean a couple of days ago and their popularity has plummeted in the UK completely plummeted I mean, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, but it was extraordinary. And I think it's because the British people rather, they just feel that Harry's deserted us and that Meghan is probably uh, the reason that he, you know, he's done so rather than saying, wasn't he clever? Wasn't he great? You know, he got, he got out. But I think the, the perception is that, you know, he was pretty lucky to be where he was in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, there aren't too many royal princes around. And why did he right. have to give it all up? And yet he seems to be, I think, this is, and then yet he still seems to be living off his name. I mean, that's the reason that all these things have come to them. And yet he 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 wants to take advantage of all that, but not 
not you know put in the the hard work on the other side i think that is the perception yeah, yeah. i think it's very different in the us isn't it it's definitely different does the feedback in the UK influence your coverage at Majesty much? Seeing that poll like that. It does. I mean, we stopped having Harry and Meghan on the cover a while ago. Wow. Um, because uh, they just it just wasn't selling. The magazine wasn't selling when they were on the cover. And Hello Magazine told me the same thing. I mean, obviously, wow. they, there are some beautiful pictures of them. And I would like to have them on the cover. But um, it, it just doesn't seem to work. Which is which is weird and interesting, isn't it? It is interesting because I feel like their popularity yeah. here has skyrocketed. So, um, yeah, it's so interesting to see the perception over uh, in the UK. Well, we want to talk about your book, Prince Philip Revealed, which came out last week over here in the US on October 20th. So for our listeners who don't know, can you describe the book, um, a quick summary for them? Well, a quick summary is this is the first sort of major biography for over 30 years of the Queen's husband, who is now 99 years old, is going to be 100 next year. Wow. It's unbelievable. Which is unbelievable. Um, there's something about the royal family. They seem to live a long time. I think it's because they're yeah. the wonderful thing about being royal, I think, about is when you're old. And you really looked after. And you're taken care of. You yeah. highlight into the bedroom and drop your clothes on the floor, and they, <laughs> somebody's you know drawn a bath for you, and they they put a towel already for you to get out, and you can choose what you want to eat and what you want to do. So all of that is is great when you're you know when you're older. But I think yeah, it's no very stress. Restricting when you're younger. Absolutely, that makes a lot of sense. It does make sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Definitely. Well, I think what was interesting, you know, just to kick things off, the we want to talk about the prologue in the book first. You've actually met Prince Philip a number of times. Can you tell us about those experiences, those interactions? What's your overall impression of him? Well, my overall impression when I first met him was that he was a bit scary because he is the Queen's husband after all. And the first time I met him was when I was doing a royal tour in Amman in Jordan. And it was my first royal tour, and I was relatively, well, relatively, I was completely naive to how you do these things. Um, and <laughs> As so, you should be. I mean, yeah, it's a yeah, lot of pomp and circumstance. Tour. It was in the British Embassy in Amman. So it was a bit like walking into a room like you walk into a wedding. I don't know if you have them like that in, in the US, but and there's a, there's a speaker there, and he's announcing your name. And, and you, you go in a lineup, and you shake the bride's hand. Well, yeah, yeah, we, we have that. Yeah, the master of ceremonies, I think you probably call it. Right, right, exactly. I mean, obviously, it doesn't happen right now. Um, so they announced your name. They said, "This is Ingrid Seward of Hanover Magazines, which were the people that published Majesty Magazine then." And he obviously thought Ingrid and Hanover. She's got to be German, and he's <laughs> German. Well, but partly German. And um, so he always thought, oh, I can have a good chat with her in German. So when I sort of went into the room, his um, private secretary came over to me and said, oh, his royal highness would like to meet you. And I thought, oh, how nice. Yeah. That's really flattering. Of all the, you know, I'm the most inexperienced person here. And he walked over to me. I thought, oh, we're going to have a great chat. And he said, you German? <laughs> and I said, no, sir. And he walked away and just left <laughs> me standing there. And was your jaw just on the floor? Like what? My just jaw happened? was on the floor. I mean, I started laughing. I just thought, I thought, how can anyone be so rude? I, yeah. I wasn't used to that. I but you've imagine. come to find out, you kind of expand on in the book that 
that's just how he kind of has conversation because that's what he's used to a little bit. I think, I mean, I never, it's really hard. He's a little bit, a part of him is really unknowable Mm -hmm. because he's such a complex and interesting character. And apparently people that have, when you speak to psychologists about this, people that have a huge amount of power, but only because of who they are rather than what they've done, they can often react like that because they know that the person that they're speaking to only wants to speak to them because of who they are. So if you were a sort of Nobel Prize winner or something, you know, and people wanted to speak to you, you'd know it was because of your brains. But if someone's just comes up to you because you're married to the Queen, it's because of who you are. So that's a little bit complex, but I thought that was quite interesting. And often very powerful people just walk away when they're having a conversation with you too, which is also interesting. I just call it plain rude. <laughs> yeah. Is your overall impression of him positive or negative? I just say positive, actually, because he's very funny and he's very quick-witted and he's actually quite a shy man. So um, I, I think he, it's totally forgivable and I love that his raison d'etre has been all these years is to look after the Queen first, second, and third. And actually, you know, by doing that, he's looking after the monarchy. That's what he does. That's his duty. And I really admire that because we don't really have that sense of duty anymore, do we? Not really. I don't think I do. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, we wanted to talk about Prince Philip's portrayal in The Crown, which you discuss a bit in the book, in the Netflix show, The Crown, particularly in the chapter about his reputation as a ladies' man. Um, We are so excited because the fourth season of The Crown is coming up. And how do you think Prince Philip, the character in the show, compares to the man that you know in real life? Well, I don't recognize the character in the show. But um, that was the first, that was Matt Smith, I think, wasn't it, that played him? Yes. So I can't really remember the second one. Tobias Menzies. Tobias Menzies, yeah. I, think yeah, I, I, think, yes. I don't think he, I just felt that Matt Smith as the, as the young Prince Philip was really, hadn't got it. And I don't mean to okay. be rude to him, but I think it was partly the way he stood because Prince Philip is so upright and his head is very upright and he has that kind of military stance. And that's one of the first things you notice about him because he's not nearly as tall as he looks, but because he's so upright and he still is at the age of 99, which is extraordinary. And so that's oh, one of his big characteristics. And I think that Matt Smith got it all wrong in The Crown because his head is always bent and he looks as if he's having a, a, he's being told off all the time. Do you think the personality lined up? Uh, I mean, not so much the way he carried himself, but was the personality similar or no? Was that no, off as well? I think Prince Philip is, is, is always joking, always laughing um, uh, and very witty rather than sort of being a bit surly. And if mm, you, if you, I don't know if any of you saw, saw Helen Mirren uh, as, as, the, as the queen. Yes, yes. And the, one of the things that she got so right was she got the walk. It wasn't so much the talk, but she got the walk and the mannerisms. And I mean, I think that's what uh, the crown misses. They've they got his mannerisms and, and his movements wrong. And because obviously you're never going to get somebody that looks exactly the same. Uh, but we'll see. And we'll see what the, the Diana is like. I mean, that, that's going to be a very hard role for her to play, isn't it? Yeah. The lady that's playing Diana, it's going to be difficult for her. Absolutely. We're excited, though. I love um, 
the snippets we've seen in the trailer of Emma Corrin. So I'm hoping, I have high hopes that she'll be, she looks a lot like her. So that's- It does look a lot like her, which, which helps actually, but it is a really hard role to play such an iconic figure. Were there any, I just want to follow up with the crown. Were there any storylines um, that you remember from the show that are, are totally true or totally false about Prince Philip? Do you remember any of the ones that stand out to you? I remember there was some, a story about a ballerina that he was supposedly to have had an affair with. Well, that was absolute rubbish. Okay. But, but I mean, but rubbish, but it was, it's not a documentary. The Crown is not a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, so you've got to allow for poetic license with all these stories. Otherwise, it, it would people would say, but why, but why don't they look like them? You know, they, they have to have a poetic license here. But I think what I'm looking forward to seeing is Philip's relationship with Diana and how they play that out. Well, and I think that's a perfect segue into our next question. We wanted to talk to you about some of the key relationships that Philip has had over his the course of his life. And somewhat controversial is the one with Princess Diana. You know, you have a whole chapter talking about the fact that they're her union to Charles came as a result of Philip putting pressure on him to marry. And Philip was originally pro-Diana, but then frustrated, then marriage counselor, and then, well, kind of, how did things end? Can you talk about that relationship a bit? Yes, well, I think Prince Philip, because Diana was a newcomer, and Philip remembers being a newcomer himself, and he was treated very badly by all the royal courtiers. Um uh, so he always welcomes uh, anybody new into the family, as he would have done with Meghan, and as he did with very much so with Diana, and obviously with Kate. Um, but Diana was so young, if you remember, she was only 19 when she met Prince Charles. And so Philip did really look after her. And she was terribly shy. And although she lived on the Sandringham estate and had met the royal family, quite a lot during her childhood. She was sort of, she, she, she was very, very shy. Anyhow, he dealt with all that. And then when the marriage started to go wrong, he, he helped her. And he wrote a series of really interesting letters to her to try and act as marriage counsel, although he said he'd never done it before. And she was really grateful to him. And then it soured, because I think she got into her mind, she, she got quite paranoid and thought that everything was bugged and that she, you know, that they really, that she thought the royal family wanted to get rid of her. She did. I mean, she she told me, you know, it sounds crazy, Ingrid, but I really did think that at the time. Although it wow. sounds crazy to me now, this was the, the following year. And I think she thought that one of the main people was Prince Philip. He just wanted her out of the way. So they they fell out. Yeah. She just decided in her very Diana way, that she hated him. Gosh, that's tough. Well, another relationship that we have heard a lot of chatter about recently is Prince Philip's reaction and criticism of his grandson, Prince Harry, his choice to step down as a senior member of the royal family and move to California with Meghan. How do you think he feels now? Do you think he's still kind of upset? I know in the book, um, I think it says a dereliction of duty. Do you know if they've reconciled at all? I don't obviously know uh, what has happened recently because we don't we haven't had anything about Prince Philip in the last well really since the summer. We we've seen him if you we saw him at Princess Eugenie's wedding, but uh, so we know he's still getting out there. But I don't know. The only thing I know is that when Prince Harry came to Sandringham for that summit, I don't know anyway the, the final summit meeting in January last year. 
uh, as soon as Harry arrived, or as soon as Harry's, you know, as, as soon as the summit was about to start, Prince Philip left the house. And I'm absolutely certain he saw Harry before that. But he would have wanted to help Harry because he got on with him very well. But I think he just cannot and, and will not understand how someone can just give all that up to go and have a life of a, a sort of celebrity in, in North America. He had everything going for him. He had a beautiful wife, a beautiful home, beautiful home, a healthy, lovely child, um, the adoration of a lot of the British people, the ability to do what he wanted, all his military appointments. And Harry had it all, and Philip cannot understand, um, as, as a lot of us can't, why he decided it wasn't enough. And he, he feels that Philip himself had given up everything for his duty, he gave up a career in the Royal Navy, which he was absolutely destined to go to the top. He gave up everything for the fact that, you know, his wife was becoming queen. And so he can't understand why Meghan couldn't just support Harry. So, uh, I mean, and I can see that. It makes sense that he can't understand it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe with time, too. I think we're about... I know that with them moving to America, it feels like they have so much more freedom to do projects that they want to do. So maybe we'll see, you know, a change in heart from from Prince Philip. And but who knows? Yeah, they do have the freedom to do what they want to do, which is great. But he was a royal prince. Do you see what I mean? There's, there's not too many of them. So why can not he go that direction? Why didn't she support him? What 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 was it that made them so unhappy? We still don't really know. Right. Well, the press, I would think. But yeah, yeah, it seemed like the media, kind of that whole thing was a really difficult thing to navigate oh, for them. Awful, awful. But they still got it now. It hasn't. Yeah, that's away. very true. It hasn't gone away. Oh, no, awful and very, very, very difficult. And I know from people that have been, you know, people that have gone out with Harry, what a nightmare it, it, it is. But um, it's still sad. I think it's, I still find it sad. Yeah, it's very sad, definitely. And hopefully in the future, you know, once I think COVID has been such a divider in a way that they hopefully I don't think they ever intended. So I'm hoping that they will. I mean, I know they have their 12 month check in. I'm curious what will come from that. Yeah, I'm sure Harry wants to see his his grandfather and I'm sure Meghan wants the grandparents of of Archie to, to, you know, I'm sure she wants them to see them. So but we don't know. We'll just have to see what happens. Absolutely. Well, and as many of our listeners probably know, Prince Philip will turn 100, as we mentioned, next year. Any chance, you think, of a bigger royal reunion? I mean, I know COVID is a variable, but, you know, we're curious to talk about that. I, I love that Prince Philip's always got these very sort of strong answers. Everyone said, are you looking forward to being 100? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> are you looking forward to celebrations? Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, how do you want to be remembered? I don't care. I won't be here. Yeah. <laughs> I love all that about him. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure you see. You know, because of his great age, you know, he's all like he can. He can get away with all that. But I do think that people will be looking at his legacy then. So this is like we're talking about June next year, but we don't know what will happen between now and then. But I think one thing that is a great legacy that that Prince Philip has left is that he was the first person in the royal family to really speak out about the environment and the, the danger we are causing the planet, all of us. And he spoke about it over 50 years ago. 
Wow. But he instilled that in his son, Prince Charles, right. who has spoken about it ever since. And now Prince William's talking about it. And now even little Prince George is learning about it. So I right. think that Philip's legacy is that he has uh, passed that through, you know, three generations, four generations of the royal family. So that hopefully their influence and their voice really will be very influential. And I think that's a pretty good legacy. Yeah, well, that was my next question. Just what was his most enduring legacy? And I think you're totally right. I mean, we're really excited about the Earth Shot and William's whole plan for that. And so is there any other legacy you would add? Or you think that really is his biggest? I think, well, also the Duke of Edinburgh's award, but I think that's not as exciting. Um, it's something he set up for young people. It's all... Everything he does really is for the future and the future of the planet. So it's not, he doesn't, I think, he, you know, he lives in the present, but thinks of the future. And I, th I, I think that's quite a good mantra to follow. And he wants, you know, the planet to still be intact, you know, when his great grandchildren grow up. And um, he, he also worries a lot about overpopulation. He was the first person to speak about that with, funnily enough, with Sir David Attenborough. So they, they are kind of have the same thinking. But I suppose the other thing he's done is, I mean, basically he's, he's supported the Queen through all those years. And they got married in 1947. Wow. He became Queen in 1952. And he's been supporting her in that role ever since. Um, so that's a pretty good legacy too. Yeah, Absolutely. I would say so. I, that's incredible too. Yeah. Uh, he, I can't believe he'll be a hundred next year. It's really, it, I'll, I'll be excited hopefully to see celebrations. Although he, he notoriously hates parties. Is that right? Well, he doesn't hate parties. <laughs> I think he hates being the center of attention. You're right. Because that goes back to the thing about him being shy and it makes him a bit grumpy. You know, older people get rather grumpy when they're put in the limelight and they don't want to be. Um, so I think it would be very interesting, but I mean, he will, he will for, again, for his wife's sake, he will, you know, he, he'll do the minimum. He will, yeah. you know, he will join in with what, whatever he's supposed to do. Well, right. duty above all else, right? Yeah. For him. Absolutely. Well, it would be duty, wouldn't it? It's not because he wants to, he'd probably rather stay, sit in front of the television. He loves, he loves watching cooking programs on television. I love that. <laughs> Same. Great British Bake Off <laughs> for me. <laughs> all right. Well, Ingrid, this has been so wonderful and so eye-opening, but I do, we ask all of our guests this one last question. If you could identify with any royal living or dead, who would it be and why? I think I'd quite like to be Camilla. If I could be, because I think she, I think Prince Charles is wonderful. He loves women. And I think being married to him uh, uh, at, you know, in the latter part of your life, would be very enjoyable and I think you could be really I think a you'd be really looked after and b you could really respect what he's doing I totally I think that that and, but I I suppose I do think that he is he's always really been my favorite Prince Charles has yeah he's he's gone through a lot of problems and he's got a lot of faults but you know I think he is a really good man well and it seems like Camilla and Charles have so much fun together so I think you know, them always laughing together and joking. It seems like they have a great time. I love that when they get absolutely hysterical. Do you remember how, well, I'm sure you've seen pictures. You're too young to remember. Diana used to get completely hysterical, you know, and Charles and, and Camilla get, they really, I love to see the photographs of them laughing. 
yes yeah, whatever they're laughing at and I think it makes you feel quite cheerful yeah they have a great time together they've still got problems ahead I think I think globally I'm not sure how people feel about Camilla so that's a difficulty nothing is ever as easy as it appears for sure the layer right. the royals absolutely are a many many layers to them yes, <laughs> so. definitely yeah, well we really enjoyed your book and we so appreciate you coming on the podcast as well well thank you so much oh, I love doing it thank you yes Thank you. Thank you so much, Ingrid. This was really wonderful. And the book is out now, Prince Philip Revealed. And now, before we adjourn the royal pod, here are highs and lows. It's time for the royal highs and lows. So, okay, so my low is the new details. It's a little bit murky about Princess Diana's panorama interview. So it's actually been 25 years since she chatted with BBC reporter Martin Bashir for that interview where she famously or infamously said there are three of us in this marriage, referencing Camilla Parker Bowles. Um, Well, Charles Spencer just released a scathing letter to the BBC demanding a posthumous apology to Diana, but also Spencer and a a global audience after it was revealed that Bashir used fake bank statements to make it seem like one of Spencer's own staffers was being paid to spy on Diana. So I feel like this is all just so weird. So the BBC conducted an internal investigation in 1996 and concluded that the bank statements had no influence on Diana doing the interview. But Spencer has all these claims in this letter that basically say that it did have a factor. I mean, it really played a role in him deciding to introduce Diana to Bashir, which led to the interview, which led to the divorce going through. And just all is so disgusting that they, to me, that that would all play out that way, that they would con Charles Spencer in that way as a way to get to Diana. But I, hearing the details of this just feels very gross to me. It's definitely a low. And the BBC is saying that there's nothing they can do until they talk to Bashir, who's unwell currently. So they can't do much to rectify anything that's happened. Okay, so Charles Spencer's own staffers, they produced fake bank statements saying that they were No, so Bashir did. So Bashir basically brought in fake bank statements that said that one of Charles Spencer's staffers was talking and sharing information about Diana. Okay. And basically by showing those bank statements as if these staffers were getting paid off, Charles Spencer believed that it was true when they were really just fake bank statements. No one was being paid off. Does that make sense? Interesting. It's it's so wild that 25 years later, this is still kind of being talked about. And the BBC kind of makes that, they talk about it in that way that's a little bit, they're like, you know, something that happened a quarter of a century ago. To me, that sounds like an eye-rolly comment, but I feel like it's it's really terrible that she was conned or that even Charles was conned in that way. So I don't know. That's definitely a low as more and more comes out about it. Yeah. I mean, if they conned her to doing the interview, they obviously didn't you know, write the script of what she would say. So I think that that's like... And they say that Diana participated of her on her own free will. You know, she signed that it was her own free will to do the interview. So that part is, I'm sure, you know, it's true. But the means of which they got the interview, secured it, is what bothers me. And I agree with Spencer on that front. If all of that plays out to be true. Right. We'll have to see if um, Martin Bashir ever is well enough to talk. So who knows? Well, my low this week is that um, there has been a lot of hoopla about Meghan Markle's case, legal case against associated newspapers being delayed. It is actually delayed until next fall. If you guys missed that um, sometime October, November, and the reason is confidential. So everyone is assuming that because she's moved the trial about nine to 10 months forward, that she's pregnant, Mm. which like, 
I hate to like assume, you know, I hate when we do this like womb watching and like people speculating on women's pregnancy. There could be a million other reasons. Her dad actually, uh, Thomas Markle, released a statement after they announced the postponement. He said, none of my male relatives have ever lived beyond 80 years of age. I'm a realist and I could die tomorrow. He said, the sooner this case takes place the better he's 76 so okay hold on we haven't postponed it four years it's only you know what i mean also that's a bit dramatic i feel like to say like he's this is getting to be really gross and kind of like murky and and it makes me really sad that this has come to with her father it's come to be so nasty i don't know it's just it's awful um I, I know that Megan's legal team also filed a motion for summary judgment in order to skip a jury trial, which means that Megan and none of her friends would have to appear in person to testify. So that will that will be decided on January 12th, according to ITV. So we'll have to see what the um, judgment is on that. I mean, who knows? The you know, the justice said that this was confidential, that there was good reason to remain confidential about why it was being pushed nine to 10 months. We know that finding freedom is allowed to be included in the case. So they do, her lawyers do have a lot more work to kind of go through and defend all the claims in the book or say, you know, this is why it wasn't Megan speaking to the authors or whatever it is. Um, But Megan's lawyers did try to appeal the decision to include finding freedom in this recent hearing. And that was denied by the judge. So either it's more work. I mean, pregnancy rumors is always just kind of an icky gray area. So I think it's, it's kind of, that's why it's my low. Leave I guess. her alone with that for sure. Yeah, Definitely yeah. a low. <laughs> Although I would be very excited. <laughs> <laughs> I would be too, for sure. Um, okay, highs. Let's end this episode on a high. So good. I love the format. Um, <laughs> so my high is the new crown trailer. What a gift. Three full minutes. We're about a week and a half away. One bright spot in November for sure. We're going to play a quick clip. One day, dear boy, you shall be king. Your duty now was the choice of a woman that people will love as a princess and in due course as queen. I mean, I just can't wait. And I truly am not sure which plotline, based on the trailer, I'm more excited about. Is it Margaret Thatcher and the Queen, Charles and Diana times Philip and Margaret and Anne? There's so many people in the I was going to say, I'm a little upset that the clip we pulled didn't include... Jillian Anderson as I know I was really the torn. voice the voice I was that she so had. torn I oh went back and forth gosh. on which one yeah her, her even just the way that she emulates the prime minister's just it, the voice is so incredible it's so good it's it's so good but I also love the concluding line of the trailer about Diana Margaret's talking at a dinner with the queen and they're talking about will she hold up and she says if she doesn't bend she will break and we know how that all worked out. So dun, dun, I really dun. can't wait till November 15th. It's so soon. I'm so excited. I'm so, so excited. It's so soon. Um, well, my high is that we have new Princess Beatrice wedding photos. I love that Fergie, proud mom Fergie, sent a thank you note to everyone who wished uh, for who everyone who sent well wishes on her daughter's wedding day. And the note included a new picture. Actually, there's two new pictures. There's one of the happy couple holding hands and gazing into each other's eyes. That's in black and white. And then there's another one of the couple walking through a beautiful green field with flowers and very fairy tale like. I also love that the note is 
so descriptive. I feel like most royal replies you get are pretty like canned and standard and very predictable. But the one that Fergie wrote (laughs) is amazing. It says, it was a glorious day. The sun smiled down on them. We were all delighted to be able to come together and celebrate their love for one another. Beatrice looks stunning and Edo handsome. Their love shone through. Can we have more thank you replies like this? <laughs> I know. We also need to write them for every occasion. Like, she, and you know, it's just everyone. so worth it. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have thought to write Fergie for Beatrice's wedding. But I think that's so smart because it's things like this where you get a never-before-seen picture. It's like a royal Easter egg. Like, you you don't expect <laughs> that at all. So I just, I just love it. All right. Well, <laughs> just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. So this recent review that I'm going to read is quite long, and I want to read it because we're going to talk about it. The subject line is, love the show, but oh my God, with the masks already. This person writes, I love the Royals and I really enjoyed listening to this podcast, but the hosts are mask obsessed. Should people wear masks? Probably. Do people have a right to not wear masks? Yes. Do different countries have different policies on masks? Absolutely. I just wish every episode weren't an update on Royals and their mask wearing habits. There are different mask policies across the U.S. and other countries. I wish they would remember we don't all live in New York or the East Coast where mask policy is much more strictly enforced and the virus is hitting much harder than other parts of the country and the world. I really enjoy this show, which is why I wish there wasn't such a criticism of the royals for not wearing them at every engagement i have to say that the timing of this with (laughs) prince william's announcement of covid really kind of stands out to me also because england is you know reporting tens of thousands of new cases a day i think that's the I mean, main reason en- yeah they're entering a second lockdown in yeah. the u.s Rachel had, and i talk I mean, about it in hundred thousand cases right. last week right Rachel and this I co- week talk about this in the context of england and the uk and also that the royals are in such and i i'm personally just defending this because i feel like it's really important to talk about in royals in leadership positions where the whole world just sees pictures of them constantly all over the internet i feel like it's so important to project that this is you know something that you you should be doing especially in these times where we're seeing you know higher cases and i i think i feel justified in saying that we talk about it as much as it should be talked about and the royals are in positions where they need to lead by example Um, But I also see your point. I do realize that other countries are, you know, in different situations and, you know, you do have the freedom to not wear a mask. I don't recommend that. But I think that when we talk about it, it's always in the context of the UK. So, yeah. And just I think what Roberta said, just leading by example is what we're where we're coming from on that on that. But we really appreciate your feedback always. Totally. Well, remember to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and the Facebook group Royally Obsessed. You can also follow us personally. I'm at Robbie Frito. And I'm at RKBNYC. And do not forget to send us an email, info at gallerypodcast.com. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? We really do love to hear this feedback. It's so super, super important and helpful. So please keep it coming. Until next week. God save the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.